I mean, get all close to the mic like this. Is this good? Yeah, don't yeah, get I'm gonna... too close. Maybe leave a you know a bit of a gap, a natural gap. You don't want to be deep throating it? it or anything. Oh, it is in my mouth. It, it is. Just sees a phallic object. Hello bookworms, welcome to Bookmarks and Booze, where we believe if you're going to slag off a book, do it accurately. Join us each week as three close friends make our way through controversial books and their most brutal reviews. Please note, gentle listener, that we'll be giving you our totally honest opinions with drinks in hand, and this podcast will contain swearing and sports. The Thursday Murder Club is the debut novel by Pointless presenter Richard Osman. Set in Cooper's Chase Retirement Village, a group of pensioners, resourceful Elizabeth, fiery Ron, kind Joyce and intelligent Ibrahim set about solving a murder that took place right on their doorstep. Yeah, well, yesterday was a really good day for me because I fixed a lot of problems I was having with the printmaking. So I was really, really happy. Hence when I was like, bloody Mary's. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's all been good. I mean, I'm a little bit stressed about money, but when am I not stressed about money? Because obviously, like, this is very much if this works, it will be great. But if it doesn't, we're going to starve. So <laughs> I mean, if you're not broke and an artist and you're not doing it right I don't think so <laughs> me and the Hartford lot were talking about pensions the other day and the different kind of pensions you get with your job and I was just sitting there like keep drinking <laughs> keep drinking <laughs> and they were talking about like savings and stuff and I was like no you know I don't have any spare money and you know we were kind of like laughing about it and I was like oh I'm sure my kids will you know put me in a nice home or keep me going or something <laughs> they're not allowed to be fucking artists you've got to pay for mama's wine get a real <laughs> job <laughs> you would be a lawyer <laughs> An artist, don't love that for you. You're not very good at it, sweetheart. Be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait for us to corrupt your children. I'm so excited. I can't wait to corrupt both of your children. I'm just going to be that aunt, aren't I? Yeah, just, 100%. I want you to be that aunt where I'm like, don't do that. And then I'll come to you and be like, can you teach her how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a shit mum, but she needs to learn. <laughs> needs to know how to make an omelette and roll a joint so she's yeah. not a shit human being yeah but I can't teach her that she has to think that it's not from me <laughs> <laughs> I think you can probably do the omelette bit babe I think that's all right <laughs> I'm getting the vegan to teach her how to do an omelette I know I've not made an omelette in years I suppose a good, a good way to start would be to ask did you guys enjoy the book mm. I mean it's one of those things that I was actually obviously I sort of suggested this one for us to read and I was really looking forward to it because I love a murder mystery anyway it's like my favorite genre is crime thrillers and um it was kind of what I expected because of how popular it was if that makes sense you know what I mean when you expect things from a mainstream book you expect it to be reasonably palatable for most people and for it to kind of just not blow you away and I I tend to really love the stuff that's like super dark and twisted or like is very polarizing um, and it wasn't that, but I did enjoy it. I mean, I read it in a day um, be- because I was trying to get it done. <laughs> you, you read it in a day? Well, I read I'd read forty two pages the day before, so technically not. But yeah, pretty the rest of it I read in a day, and so I did feel like at the end of it, I think because I kind of just like swallowed it whole. I felt quite 
sort of dazed and confused. And I think a lot of other people felt that way. What about you guys? What did you think? Well, I would like to start off by saying I've only ever read one book in a day and it was Double Act by Jacqueline Wilson when I was about 12 and I was very (laughs) proud of myself. (laughs) Jacqueline Wilson is gold, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say, I think it was very nice. Um, It kind of gave me that Jonathan Creek-esque, like, oh, do you know what? It's it's nothing groundbreaking, but I'm enjoying it. It's a bit fun. I really liked his characterization. I kind of could visualize, especially the the four protagonists. Um, yeah. Quite clearly. How about you, Emma? I really liked this one. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. I feel like the pandemic's been going on. And before the pandemic, I don't know if you guys do, but there's been a pandemic. And uh, <laughs> in case. And the world's gone a bit shit. And the, do you remember last year when all of us were so washed out during the US election and we were all coming together and saying, oh my God, I just feel totally shit and completely down in the dumps and I have no mm. idea why. And then we looked around us and we were like, well, there's a pandemic, there's the election. It feels like the world's falling apart and it kind of like affects you after a while and it sounds yeah. kind of first world problemy, but it does I've got more of an appetite for things that are very comfy and cozy or in a bit more gentle and mm. so I found this exactly what the sort of thing I felt like consuming like it really really just hit the right buttons for me it was just nice and charming I don't know I, I really enjoyed it I'm glad you enjoyed it no I definitely agree with that and cozy is the perfect word for it and it was like when I did read it it was like this super rainy day and I was just sat there and like pounding coffees. And I was like, this is the best thing ever that I had sort of have in brackets to do this, obviously for this on my my weekend. And I actually, a lot of people didn't like the tone of the book. I enjoyed the tone of the book. You know, sometimes you, you do find books a slog. I didn't find this a slog at all. So I agree with you with that. Um, side note. If you can hear screaming, it's me. And I, well, it's not me personally. <laughs> I'm just really... screaming my way through this terrible <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really apologise. I'm in a terraced house and either side of me, this is around the time we're recording, both sides are trying to get their under five-year-olds to bed. Oh, and joy. <laughs> yeah, this is the nightly, the nightly song of their people. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading. I found it, I actually, when it was, uh, when, when I'd finished it, I was like, oh, that felt really quick, actually. I was really surprised and I remember I said to you Christina are we are we doing this because it's controversial because it just seems like a nice you know a nice easy read and I enjoyed it and you were like well a lot of people didn't yeah well the reason that I wanted to review this one is because it is now sort of a bit of a cult it's become a bit of a cult movement thing so essentially it is the fastest selling adult crime debut since records began had In like the words record. of Ron Weasley, bloody hell. Bloody hell, yeah. And it sold something like 45,000 copies in the first three days. Uh, January 21, Steven Spielberg has picked up the movie rights for it. So it's going to be a big thing. And there's already a sequel coming up in September 21. Because I know Richard Osman is of TV. The one thing I would say is it did read a bit like it would translate to TV and sort of like someone who comes from that background. Because... I thought the characters were really well considered, but I thought that they were considered for a large audience, if that makes sense. One of the reviews from Viv Beebe at Crime Review that I thought hit the nail on the head was she said, this is not realism, but it's very good fun. And I just found it fascinating how he would build up the characters without saying what any of their background was for quite a while. It was just purely interactional. So how Mm. they're set up within that scene. It wasn't like Elizabeth was 
she says he says a bit like she's the sort of school teacher that used to scare you and stuff but he doesn't say she had red hair and she wore these clothes and she did that like it was really purely just her interactions mm. which in comparison to the last book we read which was Troubled Bud by J.K. Rowling she builds up these like really clunky stereotypes a lot of the time and it's all based on looks like oh she was fat or, oh she she was thin and good looking and Rosalind doesn't describe anything to do with their looks it's like purely how they act and I felt like it's so much more nuanced and so much more easy to I could picture the characters straight away without the physical representation you know well that's one of the best things about reading books as opposed to watching telly or a film isn't it because you can as both of you ladies know I much prefer to read my porn than to watch it because (laughs) I can imagine the people to look however I want so if the the descriptions of how they look is left ambiguous all the better you know Mm. because you can envisage the character however you want so I actually think that style of characterization is is really good because it lets you use your imagination there were parts of it that I just felt were really observant and honest like really honest and I really appreciated that I appreciate that in my people and my books like there was a a quote which I loved um which said uh, people without a sense of humor will never forgive you for being funny Yeah. yeah and what I would say as well is I think that for his first book it's a very risky style of writing. So at the beginning, uh, when we first kind of get Joyce's, I remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Joyce. <laughs> I liked Joyce. I like, I like Joyce, Joyce too. Well. When we get her kind of uh, inner thoughts and her monologue, at first I was like, what's going on here? This is just, you know, this is the way my nan would speak. And I was like, well, yeah, there you go. This is the way my nan would speak. And it's like, you it's amazing that this is written from a middle-aged man because he he's very good at emulating that way that older people will kind of hyper-focus on these seemingly really small little things and then you kind of have to go yeah okay I yeah there's a new Morrison's up there yeah I know okay it's important to you (laughs) and he writes in that style really really well but I can see how if you don't get what he's doing it because like a lot of the reviews that I read a lot of people were saying that you know they were calling it boring and they were calling it drivel and they were uh, complaining that he was talking about these silly things like where the Holland and Barrett is and all this kind of stuff and I was like no I think that that makes sense for this book. A lot of people said oh it was unrealistic that people were sort of dying left right and center towards the end of the book but actually you know whenever you talk to sort of your grandparents and people of that age that is what's going on in their life you know they're surrounded by death and illness and hospital visits and stuff like that all the time Mm -hmm. um and I, I think it was again I appreciated the honesty of that and and I appreciated that it's not lack of care towards death that they had but just sort of a different relationship with it Death was a huge topic in the book, and I found it very interesting how they approached it. So the suicide in older generations thing, I thought that was very kind of um, poignant a lot of the time, how it was grappled with, the mm. effect of bereavement, loneliness, like that loss of purpose, and then juxtaposed to it, the kind of hilarious attitude that they have to danger, where they're or often like <laughs> just throwing caution to the wind completely and hilariously and doing audacious things. You know, like one of the funniest bits for me was when Chris has gone all the way to Cyprus to interview one of the suspects. And then Ron and Abraham just turn up at the airport and are like, oh, we were just in Cyprus. And I'm like, what the fuck? 
that was one of the funniest moments for me because I was like they've actually gone and done it but it was just audacious a lot of the things they were doing and sometimes it's also funny like with the Bogdan at the end when they basically just give him up spoiler alert here they just give him a free pass to have basically committed multiple murders yeah and I thought well we like him and he plays chess with you know like it's ridiculous (laughs) I absolutely ridiculous but there's a real sense of like justice with death like even Penny and the husband and then Bernard killing himself it's kind of like almost you know that there's this massive understanding there and then when Jason comes clean even though he's still a massive suspect there's that idea that he has this relationship and so there's like a lot of forgiveness there I think it links into the whole you know every single character in the book has done things wrong and it's not just a black and white kind of this person's right and this person's wrong and you know like Bogdan some people even get carte blanche to commit murder apparently (laughs) do you know what I enjoyed that a lot yeah, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious that they were the kind of the final overseers of of what's just and what isn't. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Well, again, I think that plays into how good his characterization is because Bogdan was actually my favorite character. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm interested yeah. in that. Why? I just was really fond of him. I just liked how he didn't give a fuck about anything. I just liked how he's got time for all these old people and he'll hang out with this dude and play chess with him and be his mate. And yeah, like, yeah, he'll kill a bit, sure. But like, <laughs> what a catch, he just I'm sorry. It when he's like, Stephen's like, did you kill him though? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Part of the reason I felt it was maybe slightly contentious and there's a massive divide right now in terms of sort of millennials, boomers, Gen Z. And yet it says quite a lot about the fact that this has been absorbed by a wider audience than the usual literature audience. And the fact that a lot of people are sort of appreciative of the older generation, that's quite that's not what you would think right now necessarily. And so that kind of intrigued me also. If Mm. I had to hazard a guess and I don't know, I would imagine it probably contributes to the sales that, that there's a lot of selling points for this book. So someone that wouldn't necessarily read a novel nor- normally might be like, oh, it's it's Richard Osman. I really like him. Mm. I'll give this a go. So he was a TV personality before he was an author. So it, it, it gives people an idea of, of the kind of person that's writing the book. So there's a link there. And I think also at the moment, over the last couple of years, there has been such an uptake in interest in true crime and whodunits and murder mm-hmm. mysteries. I mean, Netflix now is every five minutes like, okay, let's do a new documentary about serial killer because making a murderer was was so good for us and this, that and the other. And they're always putting something like that out. So I think that it's come out at just the right time as well. One of the things that makes it so unusual is the fact that the setting's unusual and the characters are un- unusual. But the humour, I think, is, is something that really sets it apart from other you know, mystery novels. And I think a lot of the bad reviews that I saw were people expecting to read a traditional mystery novel and then getting a comedy. One of the the Goodreads ones, Laura on Goodreads, she was saying it's very slow. And even though there are some twists, they're quite anticlimactic and that she wasn't gripped like a usual murdery novel. Murdery novel? Mystery novel. (laughs) One of the movie novels. (laughs) (laughs) Don't beat me one of the movie novels. that's part of the humor is that it's subversive <laughs> and it's not gritty and it's not fast paced it's kind of slow and once you get a bit of pace on it it's brought right back to as you say the opening of the new holland and barrett or their latest coach trip into town 
And I think it's very funny as well that they're so they're so ballsy, a lot of them, like this slow kind of pace. But then at the same time, they're bribing their way out of criminal activity in a grave robbery with, you know, cake and sherry when they're being interviewed by the police and staging a protest in the form of a massive old people's picnic, basically, to prevent a murderous multimillionaire gangster from bulldozing a graveyard. I I really liked the grave robbing bit because I like the way that that the police are like, you've committed a really serious crime. You've dug up a body. This, you, no, you can't do that. And they're just kind of treating them like children that are throwing a strop. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. oh, come on. We've been over this. Come on, you know, move on. And they're like, no. <laughs> and I found myself in my notes, it kind of sort of says it all, where I've just been like, who even did it? Unrealistic plot with a messy anticlimax, but do I care? You know? Yeah. It's like, I just did <laughs> I did enjoy it and it was a light read and I don't normally lean to to light reads but I agree with you Emma you know it's very of the moment the morbidity with the humour is very English it's very funny Um, very British yeah I personally now don't get me wrong I did enjoy this book and this is not a slander on the book because if this if Emma you said it perfectly if this is the kind of thing you are looking for it's perfect for that it's perfect for that Sunday afternoon curl up with a coffee you know I would have preferred something that was a little bit darker I would have preferred something that was a little bit more a little bit more macabre but that's just my personal taste that's nothing to, that's not to say there's anything wrong with the book I'm also not going to go and, and post a negative review about it because it, it wasn't my type of thing some people are such dickheads I saw a review where someone had put um research needs work because I looked it up and there's not even a super drug in Tunbridge Wells what do you mean you looked that's it up that's my favorite review because it's so ridiculous I have it here it's by <laughs> B it's one star it's titled facts need work and literally this is it i got to page 22 in september there isn't a waitrose in tunbridge wells i stopped i'm trying again but a few pages past 22 and there isn't a virgin active in tunbridge wells either i suggest google for fact checking fact checking probably important for a murder inquiry i correct myself imagine imagine being that person it gets better it may no. not matter to the plot, but it's really annoying and distracting. And I don't even live in Tunbridge Wells. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. What's, re- what's really going on? Come on, what are you really upset about? <laughs> well, I don't know about you guys, but I find it very distracting that you wrote about which Please go get a wine. You need to get out more. Come on, go get a wine. You can't. You can't keep the bit where I call her a cunt in the podcast. <laughs> it's staying. <laughs> okay, how much we have to cut out? That's staying. <laughs> Personally, I rated it. it was so so anally retentive of me. I rated it a three point eight. <laughs> oh wow (laughs) I know I am the moniker and I aligned more with the Goodreads um, readers with that they sort of roughly rated it on average four stars um, whereas I think it was slightly higher than that on Amazon but I did enjoy it and actually the more I talk about it the more I'm remembering enjoying it if that makes sense I also loved Ron I had such a soft spot for Ron the cantankerous old bastard I loved him (laughs) when he pretended to be doddery and then the next time Chris saw him he was like why is he just had a new lease of life I, that's me that is me in 50 years time and i'm here for it i love him he's so angry in cyprus and he's like i swear he was on, <laughs> on his last legs <laughs> i just thought that was so funny and then he 
actually cackled as I read. It was the first book in a long time where I've actually laughed out loud reading it. it <laughs> so do you, what do you rate it, Emma, then? What do you reckon? I'd give it a strong four. And I'm going to tell you why, because I haven't spoken <laughs> enough on this podcast. I'm going to give you a little bit more content. There's a character in this who just warmed my cold dead heart. And he warmed it in the same way that Alan Rickman warmed my heart when he played the Sheriff of Nottingham in uh, Robin Hood. <laughs> wow. in the, the thoroughly <laughs> evil, we all know what that means. Just, just a, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he was just an evil bastard. He had no redeeming qualities. He was just a villain through and through. Every single interaction he had. And that was Ian Bentham. I agree. He I loved just, him. Oh my god, he just tickled me. When it, the the Range Rover, the 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 Range Rover with the cooler and the gold plated glove box, <laughs> the bright red grand piano, the bright his, red piano got me. Uh, the, he tried to destroy <laughs> the chapel and the graveyard for the sake of eight new flats. Like Bill, <laughs> it was just so, the way he builds it. Like the the fu- the bit that had me going at the at the start was when he parks his Range Rover in the disabled bay outside of the cafe, and he says, not because he's disabled, but because it's nearest the door yeah <laughs> i and then the, there's a person on the mo on the um scooter who's whacking it with a with a um, his walking stick and he comes out and he's like well i was here first what's wrong with some people yeah <laughs> it's like i immediately know that guy we've all met that guy and i thought it was so clever how again spoiler alert how he died it was the only time in the entire book where it was actually quite heart-wrenching he he starts talking. I'm going to read out what he says, but it says, Ian reaches the Range Rover. His car's been clamped. His dad will be furious. He's only borrowed it. He'll have to get the bus home from town and his dad will be waiting for him. Ian is frightened and starts to cry. Don't cry, Ian. He'll see. Ian doesn't want to go home. And then he dies. And I'm like, oh my God. It was really jarring because I thought, what the fuck's going on here? Have I missed something? Maybe he's having a dream. And then suddenly it was like the last moments before his death. And he's just reduced to this young boy crying out for his dad, worried that his dad's going to be angry that the car's clamped. And that's it, you know, and that's the last of his life. And there's no more red piano. There's no more Range Rover. It's just, oh my God, my dad. And I'm like, daddy issues, typical. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's very profoundly sad. It's the only time I felt sorry for him throughout the whole book. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to do it. I noticed that as well. And it is very, it's very sudden. And you are a bit like, oh, you're kind of uh, taken off guard. And also I think it very cleverly without going into too much detail, gives you an idea of why he might be the way that he is. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And Richard Osman was very good at that. You know, he did that um, really cleverly when he was obviously speaking through Joyce and she was talking about dating apps and she was sort of saying how it sort of breaks your heart to actually scroll through because it reminded him of all the uh, lost cat photos. On that oh, my God. As someone who frequently used every dating app you can imagine before I got together with my with my partner, I felt that <laughs> every level. Like, yeah, it is. It, and you know it when you're on there. You're like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> so much hope. So much sadness. <laughs> <laughs> on another note, I think I'm going to open my can of gin and tonic. Oh, yeah, give it to us. Should I do it. It's Medicine actually quite... Off. Tap the lid, yeah. It kind of, it kind of does something. Oh. oh. Nice. <laughs> that oh, was <welcome>. good. <laughs> you little tease. <laughs> oh, you know me. Reputation to uphold. But no, I did enjoy it. It, it nice as well and compact compared to, to Troubled Blood. Um, mm. 
by J.K. Rowling that we previously. I don't want to go on and talk talk about the book we've already spoken about too much, but I do find it interesting to compare the two books because mm. she has sold so so many copies, and she's one of the best known authors of all time. Mm. And I think when you read something like this, I did find it was a lot more pleasant to read. And I don't think that was just because of the content. I think it was the writing style. And you're so right, Emma, in that she does really focus in on those physical d- descriptors. And, <laughs> and this book doesn't do that and, and makes for a much more pleasant read, I find. Mm. Yeah, and 382 pages rather than 900. <laughs> yeah, that also will make a difference, yeah. However many. <laughs> not everything has to be you know Tolstoy or whatever does it you know sometimes you just want to it's kind of like tv sometimes you want to watch a gritty gangster movie and sometimes you want to watch a horror film and sometimes you want to watch Below Deck or Mm. Real Housewives of Atlanta do you know what I mean which I love by the way (laughs) my guilty pleasure at the moment is I'm watching Haunted on Netflix have you guys seen it what's that oh my fuck so the premise is they say to you at the beginning of the show Everything. It's very American, obviously. They say to you at the beginning of the show, everything you're about to see is a true story. Real uh, people, yeah. real events. And it's like, okay, all right, I'll give this the benefit of the doubt. And then they show this dramatic reenaction of, well, not even a dramatic reenaction because they completely make something up, right? Before anyone starts talking, they'll show you something really, really horrendous. And you're like, oh my God, am I going to hear from the person in this? Like, you know, they'll show you like a torture basement and there's some hillbilly playing a banjo on top of it. And it's like, whoa, did someone survive this? This is amazing. And then it will go to a circle of people. And the premise is they're like telling their family about this thing that happened to them. But every single one, you're like, well, I think I know what might have really happened here. And it's not the story that you're telling. Like there's this one girl that's like, um, my entire family was haunted by the spirit of a demon cat and then I just I just wanted to come here to tell my tale. Um so we moved into house. <laughs> my mom went down into the basement and saw something. It wasn't a cat. <laughs> And it's like, okay, what did she see? And they've like CGI this demon cat. Oh <laughs> god, no. no. And it's like a zombie CGI cat in the in the in the basement. Anyway, long story short, this girl, she's like, I woke up the next day and I was covered in these giant welts and I went to the hospital. And they said to me, Have you been to Africa recently? And I said, No. They said, You have typhoid fever. And I just know that it was a curse from the cat. I was like, no, you had a real <laughs> animal in your basement and, and you got scratched or something. And the scary part of this story is you got typhoid fever. And I'm sorry that that happened to you, but there was no demon in your house. There was no. And they do this dramatic reenaction in the beginning of all of these people, like drawing a pentagram in the basement and, and summoning this demon cat. And it's like, well, that you can't just put, you can't just say that's what happened. You need some kind. And they're like, we, we got a priest to come to the house. And he went down into the basement and found a pentagram under the dust. And he exercised the house. And ever since then, everything's been better. And it's like, okay, that was not a priest. That was pest control. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and literally all of them are like that. You're like, babe, that's not, that's not Oh yeah, my my guilty pleasure has been yeah, Real Housewives of Atlanta. But Below Deck, I was absolutely obsessed with. That oh, I know so many people that have loved this program. It's so 
trash but it's amazing it's basically about all of like the crew and staff on these like mega super yachts out in the caribbean um and sort of you meet every single one and they have relationships with each other and then they go out and get drunk and they fight with each other and then they have to like serve people on these boats that like ask for ridiculously outlandish things and they fall in love after two days with each other and then don't understand why they can't move out and move in together straight away as soon as they're on land it's absolutely fantastic um it's just sort of like an antidote for life but yeah on that note who doesn't want to be drinking 11 30 in the morning solving cold cases when you're like 70 yeah i love that that's the goal that's the dream is it not like in some fancy place (laughs) it made me feel like maybe it'll be okay to get old if that's if that's what i have to look forward to yeah but there's so many sweet little anecdotes in this as well and and a lot of it's really quite touching and sad like the bit where Joyce talks about getting the the M&S G&Ts that got me that got me right in the feels speaking of because I'm drinking a gin and tonic can right now (laughs) but it did that made me actually like sort of well up a little bit because just the thought of there are things that she didn't know were going to be her last time doing them and then all of a sudden that was her last time and I've been talking to my mum about that lately, who's obviously overseas and I haven't seen her in a long time because of the pandemic and their entire life travelled a lot. And, you know, she's turning around now and saying, well, because of the pandemic, now we're getting older, you know, we might not be able to do any of those big trips again. You never know when it's going to be the last time that you're doing stuff. And um, it sort of makes you want to go out and live in the moment a little bit. And I love old people anyway as well. I think like yeah. some people like kids and babies, but for me, I just love old people. They get me right in the feels. Yeah. The, well, Robert, the bit that got me right in the feels was um, Bernard's suicide. I just, I really, oh. I was cooking when I when they were reading the bit about his suicide and I just was sobbing. I was just sobbing listening to the audiobook, and it was a bit where he says, oh. it was like someone reached in and took out my heart and my lungs and told me to keep living, keep waking up, keep eating, keep putting one foot in front of the other. For what? And oh. when his wife's died. And I just was like, I just thought that was incredible writing. I really did. So simple. The relationships in this book are really well done. Like Mm. you can believe, I mean, Joyce with her daughter is a prime example. I I understand that relationship so well. Yeah. The the way that, and I can see it from both their sides. I can see how the daughter finds her mum to be, you know, fussing and overbearing and she doesn't really understand everything she's talking about and it's frustrating and you can lose your patience. And then I can understand Joyce just feeling like her daughter's now in a completely different world from her. Yeah, it's it's like they're speaking a different language, you know, like, yeah, I related to that quite strongly as well. I think just because also, um, to be honest, because I don't don't speak to my parents, I don't see them very often because they don't live locally to me. So every time you see each other, there's been a difference now, because I think also there's that power dynamic change, isn't there? As, As you age and sort of become into your prime adulthood, as it were. Um, and they get older, the power dynamic shifts, whereas mm. they've always looked after you, it inevitably tips. And, you know, the younger generation ends up looking after their parents and their grandparents a bit more. And so I thought that that was clever to include. I don't know if you also had this terrible review. It was Kathy off Goodreads who gave it one out of five. And she was the one who was like, Donna and Chris's relationship is creepy. The narrative jumps so much. I can't remember anyone's name. Um, wouldn't really loads of them. people couldn't remember the names i'm like literally like for keep up. Read, yeah <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect it's a fucking book I know. right it's be more i than, know like two characters 
Yeah, lame. <laughs> no, we were just saying. Detective um, Spank. <laughs> Spank? Spike? Spork? <laughs> Honestly, I've, only, earlier on when you were talking about Bogdan, I was like, I'm so glad that she said Bogdan because I want to say that he's my favourite character, but I keep wanting to say Podark. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it's fine. You killed a lot of brain cells last night because of vodka. <laughs> Name the vodka. I always do. No, Podark was what was what was saved, I'm afraid. What yeah. I was going to circle back to is the <laughs> thing we were saying about J.K. Rowling and about her characterization compared to uh, Richard Osman's. I was reading it and I wrote in my notes at first, he doesn't stereotype like J.K. Rowling does. And I was like, yeah, he kind of does actually, because Elizabeth, like she's obviously ex-MI5. Ibrahim is like a psychiatrist to the rich, rich and famous. Red Ron is like an ex-trade union heavy and protester and has all of this, you know, incredible left-wing background. And then Joyce is like an ex-nurse who happens to be like a naturally very skilled investigator. And I thought that's all quite tropey. Even Penny, she's the kind of foil to Elizabeth, where Elizabeth is more kind of the good cop and Penny's the bad cop and um, and all of this. But the way he presents it is just so much more nuanced. And they're never criticised or ridiculed like Rowling seems to ridicule her characters that she doesn't like even the ones that are supposed to be likable she kind of can sometimes put a bit of a bitchy spin on them whereas Osmond I found just presented them to you yeah as a kind of take it or leave it scenario where it's like everyone's got good shit everyone's got bad shit and you know Elizabeth she is kind of a Mary Sue type character where she just gets everything right and she just knows everything but it's so charming it it never comes across as ridiculous it's not realism but it's still believable if you take that out if you take that kind of bitchiness and exactly what you mean Emma out it doesn't leave you with one-dimensional characters at all it, it, no. it, it you know it's really easy to imagine all of those characters yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I think this is more a reflection on myself <laughs> projecting, but um Elizabeth Elizabeth, wow, words, two <laughs> gin and tonics in, ladies and gentlemen. Um I did find that she got a bit bossy and it did annoy me, yeah. but then I'm a bossy person and that annoys me about myself. So I did think that maybe <laughs> it was just maybe a little moment of sort of self irritation. Um but I did I liked that she was just naturally interesting, you know, and she's not bragging, but she's sort of, oh, yes, well, I know the Sultan of Brunei because I met him when we were playing bridge, you know, in Jaipur. (laughs) She's naturally sort of was a leader in her, you know, midlife. Then why wouldn't she be in in her older years? So stereotypes are invariably come from some element of truth. Otherwise, they wouldn't be funny. And I think that he dealt with them so well. And I found that J.K. Rowling, she tended to exalt certain generations in a way and make fun of others. So she was very disparaging of... 21st century ideals and cultures and millennials and you know vegans they're just these oh, ridiculous God, those people vegans and all did. of that i know it's yeah. <laughs> fucking vegans. Bloody vegans um, um sorry, excuse me i just like to hit this opportunity to tell our listeners that uh, i'm a vegan so um, <laughs> and we're vegan just in case you didn't know <laughs> christina and i are vegans, and I are vegans everyone yeah <laughs> i am not a vegan <laughs> I'm trying really hard. Shame. <laughs> she loves duck fat potatoes. <laughs> I do. I do shamelessly. I try so hard. We're uh, vegan probably two or three days a week now, but we the rest of the days we do dabble in a little bit of... Uh, I remember they tasted flesh. good. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> you are, yeah, I'm, I'm not the best mm. vegan in the world. <laughs> to be honest, I sympathize a lot with the media. But the thing is, what I love about you both with your veganism is that when I've been, even when I've been out with Sid, who is a very committed vegan, not in the pretentious way, but in the kind of, she never is like, oh, go on, I'll have a biscuit. You know, she really does stick to it. <laughs> so, so um, like, I, I don't know, know what you mean, Emma. Vegan, uh, yeah. <laughs> But when you smell beef burgers cooking sometimes, like I remember us walking through Cheson and you could smell a barbecue and you're like, what's that smell? Oh my God, it smells so good. And I was like, it's beef burgers. And you were like, oh God. <laughs> like you still hanker sometimes for the smell of meat, but you don't, it's not like you don't like it, but you're, you're still very conscientious with it. Seafood for me. I yes, yeah, seafood. Yeah, me too, man. Fuck. Like, and you still cheese. want it. Occasionally for me, cheese. I mean, oh, like when you're, you know, when you're like brie, fucking hell <laughs> does everyone think about a burger right <laughs> i would just like to say that impossible burgers are delicious they are so good they are, they, i can't tell the difference between impossible burgers and regular beef burgers when i'm very drunk <laughs> which is when i tend drunk. to have them <laughs> one of the the reviews i've mentioned for be a crime review she said a really something that i thought was really true richard osman is a very witty writer who manages to reference 21st century culture through the eyes of a bunch of almost octogenarians without once making me cringe and i thought that was so true and it made me think of rowling because i was like she just shits all over younger generations and actually you know you can really make it a sort of funny lovely thing like when she's like learning how joyce is learning to use skype and she's like we took it in turns to go in the little box in the corner and i was like that's adorable <laughs> oh my god the description <laughs> of them using skype was so spot on and the way that no one knows how to hang up and like yeah. it was, oh my god and then his wife comes in like for fuck's sake <laughs> Literally every time we speak to grandparents online, um, it takes like 20 minutes to get them set up on like Zoom calls and stuff like every time without fail. Like doesn't matter how many times you do it. It's like, yeah, it's all in the same place it was last week. My name is one is, um, did you see on the Facebook? And I say to her, your Facebook's different to my Facebook. And she goes, no, 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 go on your, go on to the Facebook and you'll see the post. And I'm like, well, Nan, how do I explain to her that you curate your feed <laughs> depending on who you follow? And it's not like one universal website that we all see like right wing bullshit on. You know? <laughs> well, that, well, no, I'll show you. It's right here on the face. Yeah, it's on your Facebook. I- <laughs> oh, bless her. Who were your favourite characters in the book? I know, Sid, you've said Bogdan. Were there any other favourites for you guys? Ron was my favourite. I did enjoy Elizabeth. They, I didn't really like the police people. No, I, just thought, I. I appreciate that they didn't get together because I thought, here we go again. Yeah. So I, 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 I really liked that he's more interested in her mum at the end. I thought that was quite a nice little touch. And it's not like, oh, here we have two people t- that are working together, a man and a woman. They're inevitably going to, you know, hook up. And I was kind of like, oh. When that didn't happen, I was really pleasantly surprised. But as for their actual characterization, I really didn't care for Donna very much. I mean, the, the scene of the interview, like her whole attitude towards it, fit the character description perfectly well but it did irritate me and I, I did find that sort of Joyce was just a little bit too twee for me in general there was a, a three-star review on Goodreads that called it monstrously twee and that was the whole review <laughs> <laughs> and I did I do agree like we were saying it's very cozy it's very English like that is either going to be a plus or a minus depending on your personality I really liked Joyce but I thought she was the killer. <laughs> 
I did as well. After Trouble Blood, oh. I was like, okay, well, it's Joyce. But she was like, I'm kind of manipulative when I want to be. I was like, cool, you've been killing people. <laughs> I really enjoyed the opening. They always say, because obviously, like, the moment I'm, like, trying to finish my own book, plug, the intro is supposed to be the most important thing. So obviously that's what you sell to, to publishing houses. And that is the first thing that you read. It's your first flavor for the whole book. And I did enjoy that they were talking about knife wounds like on the end of the first page. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Just casually in the cafeteria. Like, yes, okay, I'm invested now. I want to know what's going to happen. Who was your favorite character, Emma? Except for Ian Bentham. Uh, I loved Joyce, but purely for just like how thirsty she was. Like any yes. new dick who came into Cooper's Chase, she was like gagging for it in her diary. And yes. I, it was so sweet how she addressed her diary like one of her gal pals and was like, well, you'll get this. And she was like, Bernard, well, I don't want. And she'd put little things like, I don't want to uh, go into that right now. And I'm like, you're just gagging for it. Yeah, <laughs> Joyce is such a dick hound. That is such a good shout. She's like, all of my notes for every chapter were like, why is Joyce so thirsty? <laughs> And then when they're talking about Tinder, she's like, oh, I had to go, obviously. (laughs) I find it interesting with the characters that I wouldn't say there was anyone in this book that was like completely evil. I mean, even Penny had her reasons for doing what she did. It's it's a bit of a moral grey zone, I think. Yeah, Mm. definitely. But because of that, I did feel that like, I found it slightly, and again, I don't know what that says about me, but um, I found it slightly more difficult to invest. I feel like in life in general, I enjoy big characters. I enjoy people that are vivacious and I enjoy people that are very polarizing, very one or the other. And I didn't really feel like that was the case with any of these characters so much, apart from maybe Elizabeth. I think it's probably why it's more palatable for the masses, but that did sort of detract personally from my enjoyment a little. we haven't really spoken about Ibrahim mm. I liked Ibrahim but the Guardian did point out that he was sort of inserted for diversity a little bit although I did enjoy the conversation that he had with um, Ron where Ron was sort of quite openly racist towards uh, Asian people and he was able to discuss it with him although it did sort of display that sort of you know systemic racism <laughs> amongst all the generations but that was um, a theme though wasn't it Uh, What I liked about it was they would sort of be not told off, but told to do something different. And there wasn't really a lot of backlash. Like with Donna, when she's talking about how it's not, they don't put female at the beginning anymore or something like that. They kind of just roll with it. They're like, oh, okay. And then he says something, I think it's Ron says something like, can I call you darling? And she's like, no. And he's like, oh, okay. It's not a thing. But then he called her love anyway, sort of thing. And Mm. yeah, nobody really sort of, everyone just eye rolled and got on with it. I think... There's an element of people have that expectation when it comes to people of a certain age that they're not going to change their ways, whatever they may be. But it did feel with Ibrahim, his sort of nationality, it felt that it wasn't manufactured kind of for that reason a little bit to me. It felt to me like a reasonable someone who, not necessarily just a psychiatrist, but someone who was a doctor or had that kind of mindset of understanding people, the way he sat back and listened a lot of the time. And he'd be quite braggadocious in that old person way, like, I do yoga and I do this much yoga a day. And I thought that was quite sweet. But then sometimes when someone, like when Ron is opening up and he says it obviously internally I knew this was a time when I would sit when I had to sit back and listen and I was about to hear something that Ron wanted to say and I thought that was quite realistic for me I thought yeah okay, that's someone that's been in a career for many many years and has got used to that kind of mindset of how to talk to people and when to listen and when to speak and he just 
listened and I, I thought it was in the same vein as the other people who've had careers like you know Elizabeth and um and Joyce when they just instinctively know and and Father Mackie in a way when they just instinctively know how to do that thing that they've always done throughout their lives as a career like Elizabeth just instinctively knows how to interview people and Joyce just instinctively knows how quick it is that someone would die from a stab wound and I, I really liked that. I thought that was quite genuine for me. You know, I didn't people. get that vibe. What What were they saying? So they were saying that he would. I don't understand why someone would say he was shoehorned in for diversity. Like, is it not just that's where the character's from? I be, am I being a bit naive? The Guardian said um, only the fastidious Egyptian psychiatrist Ibrahim feels like a bit of a cipher included to introduce a hint of diversity. God, I mean, when you've again, I don't mean to compare it to Rowling, but when you've seen how she shoehorned in <laughs> anyone, yeah, any I mean, it's not like, on the and same. she's a lesbian, you know, <laughs> it's like, not on the same level home. at all, um, at all. And you know what, it might just be something that's completely unconscious. I think that there's always an element of concern if you're going to put a book out there as a, a big personality like Rich Osmond, mm. he would want to make sure he was being inclusive. Honestly, I'm not sure if I'll read the second one, like of my own volition. Do you know what mm. I mean? I would read it for this. And if it's something that you want us to do, um, listeners, do let us know. But it is something that, you know, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I read it. Will I remember it in a year's time? Probably not. Do I mind? Yeah. No, not at all. And I remember reading an interview um, with Tiffany Rice at the back of one of her books once. And it said, you never want meth. You know, as a, a writer, you always want five stars or one star, you know, because then that means that you're putting out work of, of quality that's art that people are considering. And there were a lot of mere reviews on this one. I mean, and the majority of Goodreads reviews were four star or below because it's palatable. I, I did feel it was a bit sort of like it was all right. Yeah, see, yeah. I'd give it a three. Um, I gave Trouble Blood at a 2.5, and I think that this is was more enjoyable I think it's good that we have a range of opinions like you mm. know Christina you found it meh I quite liked it Emma you seem to have really enjoyed it so I think it's good all three points are pretty valid it is really good for that Agatha Christie Miss Marple like oh, they <laughs> love Jonathan it. Creek fit in you know it's if you're in the mood for that it's perfect for the mood I was in, I, I did enjoy it at the time, really enjoyed it. So I'm probably going to give it, I think I'll also give it a 3.8. I think that. Yeah, I think 3.8. I know that you I think that's really you're... fair. Yeah, you're no. the shit me. But 3.8 is bang on. I, I, can't be, bang I can't on. be getting into decimals. With <laughs> this is why, yeah, this is why we need you. <laughs> we need you on this podcast. This is why we need you in life to calm us down. <laughs> We haven't yeah, really covered fine. anything about the nuns or Father Mackey or that any of that. That bothered me. It bothered me. That was my big... That's why it's not a four-star. Oh, well, it, it bothered you? Why? Because it was unnecessary to the whole plot. Like, it was a bit of a filler, melodramatic snippet. It, it, yeah, it just felt like, oh, you could. that could have easily just been an unidentified body. Do you know what I mean? I'm sorry. Like, that could have filled in in the next book. I did feel it was a bit busy at the end with that and then with Bogdan killing everyone, basically, and then the Penny stuff. 
Now, I, I would know, agree with you there, actually. I do think that was a bit unnecessary thinking back on it. I remember it being jarring and not in a good way, in a kind yeah. of... Yeah. Where she hung herself. And I remember She thinking, hung herself and they had a romance where they were, like, you know, touching knees in the confessional. And I was just like, oh, really? We're doing this? But it's, you know, we all know that it can be done in a very sort of, you know, powerful way. And, and it, it almost felt too powerful for it to be so flippant. Mm. Mm. I liked the nuns. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well... <laughs> Okay, everyone knows that I have a bit of a religion fetish. (laughs) (laughs) Is Sid going to like the uh, priest and the nun scene? Is an elephant heavy? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, don't. (laughs) Have you had Chris lighting candles in the window and you're running in with your habit on? Oh my goodness. I know exactly what to buy you for your birthday. I want to book on that. I, I was like, well, you know, how, how are they going to uh, how are they going to explain why this guy is pretending to be a priest? That's dodgy as fuck. He was so sus when he was like, I'm not telling you anything. And I was like, oh, God. But kind of also I found that quite interesting. It was that Joyce and Elizabeth-esque I don't give a fuck attitude when he was being interviewed where he's like, well, do you have a warrant? And he's not bitchy or or kind of sassy like Ian Bentham was he was really just like well sorry I'm not going to talk unless you have a and I thought there's something about his brazen honesty that makes me think he could not possibly be the killer I thought the hanging from the rafters was a bit extreme I, I thought there was a bit too much suicide in the book I thought oh for sure then there must be a really high suicide rate amongst older people in the UK for him to be making this much about people older people committing suicide and then I looked and they're like the least likely group to commit suicide so I was like "Eh, okay like I understand why it was explored but maybe not to this extent. I felt that yeah it could have actually it felt too it could have been so much better if it had been sort of correctly slotted into the story so either sort of scrap it or commit do you know what I mean that that I would agree with like I I do agree either scrap it or commit because I would have liked a bit more because I I I really believed some of the romances in this you know I I really when they talk about that tiger tin that uh Bernard and his, his wife tried to gift to each other I thought that was so lovely and it really made you understand their relationship. And then I don't think we really got that. You know, it was it was sad. You know, he was he was crying over the grave and, and his unborn child and all of that. And it, I just I don't think it had that tenderness that Bernard's relationship was was given. You're near the end of the book when it, you know, you're introduced to sort of that story with Father Mackey because they're sort of coming to the crux of the crime. They've gone around everybody else that's a reasonable suspect by that point almost. So there was a lot wrapped up very quickly at the end. I don't know. Is it realistic that someone who would, in a convent, knowing that that is the ultimate crime to commit suicide, would decide to hang themselves from the rafters of the chapel? I just thought that was a bit... It was the one bit where I thought this, even for the anti-realism of the book, it was a bit of a reach for me. Um, yeah, rather than say like run away, do you know yeah. what I mean? Or, or go to a different convent or whatever. So yeah, I do agree with that. Um, the second one incidentally is called um, The Man Who Died Twice. Oh. So I'm quite, so that is slightly intriguing. Do you think either of you will read the sequel? I think I would. I'd read it because it's like a warm hug. And I, that, that's, I really my, that's my lumbering man. Quiet, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Does he have his uh, priest clothes on yet? Or <laughs> getting the rosary I'm ready? Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I'd read the sequel. 
(laughs) (laughs) But no, it does sound interesting. I, I mean, I think it's it's something that isn't so recorded that that I will say when you know you look at sort of the um, whole euthanasia issue and I think that is maybe something that might be explored in the second book you know if the title alludes to anything I mean I always say to Matt if I ever become a vegetable like just you know do <gasps> yes me, me and Chris day. have this kill me kill me kill yeah. me quite early on we were watching something and I was like oh by the way if I'm ever in that state he was like kill you I was like yeah kill me kill me, kill me, kill me dead <laughs> Yeah, I mean, having sort of witnessed it with, um, you know, and and that's, I think, why I got so touched um, with Elizabeth, with her sort of husband, you know, um, because it is in both sides of my family. um, And so there is always that question mark if it is actually going to happen to you, you know, which is frightening. And I actually really liked, um, there was a bit in the book where Ron had been put off going to see Penny, who was sort of a vegetable, effectively, in, in a hospice he admitted that he put it off because it was frightening. And, and, you know, it's kind of the same thing. You always sort of say like, oh, how can people not go and visit their elderly relatives in, in old people's homes and stuff like that? But when you actually are visiting, it is, it's not a pleasant experience, you know, no. to see someone in that state that you love. That, for me, was just a really honest, you know, he wasn't afraid to go there. It was very relatable. And I'm sure it is for a lot of people, you know, it's a, it's a major issue. It yeah. really is. So profound the way he presents it as well. He doesn't say, and this was very sad. He just shows you a snapshot into that world and then you make your own assumptions from that. And you're right. Like for me, it brought back so many memories of various like elderly relatives and Matt's side of the family and all of that and being with them at the end. And it's such a horrible thing to have to experience but there's so much wonder and profoundness and love and all these different emotional aspects that go into it and then to also underlay that with comedy I just thought was very clever very very clever yeah do you know know who I've just remembered I absolutely loved and who was a cliche I didn't mind was that hairdresser yes Anthony I've forgotten the hairdresser (laughs) oh I thought he was great he was so much fun to read and I wanted to be his mate and I wanted to get my hair cut by him and I just thought he was a great character I did as well yeah he was he was such a flash in the pan character actually but now Mm -hmm. I've yeah I'm remembering I loved how they blatantly told him exactly what had been going on and he just continued to make up like flagrant (laughs) lies (laughs) and I it's like we told you what happened well actually what happened was he was bludgeoned to death well what actually happened it was a bomb that's not fun um i love how he carries on cutting penny's hair as well and i just i just think he's he's got a real kind of kindness about him and a fun about him i mean that's the one thing i would say maybe again slightly unrealistic that i didn't mind is that all the characters are maybe ian were fundamentally kind and and good people really underneath despite the fact that they'd done some terrible things which is where sort of the gray area was Um, Ian's wanky business partner what was his name uh, yeah Tony the one that got killed yeah he was a bit of a knob end and all wasn't he Mm. yeah he was just a bit sort of a thug wasn't he character bit of a dickhead really his only redeeming (laughs) quality was his contemplating killing Ian (laughs) Ben. Yeah, I loved Ian Bentham. I thought he was hilarious. There wasn't a single line of dialogue he had that was genuine. All of it was trying to swindle people. Hatred for everyone except for himself. Just mercilessly cheating everyone and everything in his vicinity. And I just... On Tinder, married, (laughs) like... (laughs) Don't hate the player, hate the game, you know? God. <laughs> Isn't there a line in there about something like he looks like he would smell great, but you wouldn't want to get close enough to find out? Yeah. 
it's like when you i don't know like in general like those guys where they just waft aftershave yeah. out around them in, in you, the vicinity i can smell miles. i can smelly invent them i yeah. know yeah. what he smells like as well i thought davidoff cool water <laughs> oh, oh god <laughs> now i can't unsmell it yeah <laughs> My second boyfriend wore that, and now whenever I smell it, I, I'll do a little. <laughs> yeah. oh, my ex's dad wore Paco Van. Uh, yeah, shout out Pete if you're listening to this. Fuck you. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> Your sons are shit. Hey Pete, if listening, fuck you. <laughs> Obviously, for commercial purposes, I cut down these podcasts quite substantially, but I also keep the raw file because I'm looking forward to us being the age of the people in the Thursday Murder Club and listening back to us (laughs) chatting absolute bollocks on this. Rubum, please get your arse off the microphone. I have to deep throat that later. But, um... Do you know what's been really good about about doing art a bunch as well is I've just been letting Spotify go, we think you'll like this. And I go, mm. okay, Spotify, you take the wheels today. I'll listen to eight hours of what you think I'll like. Now Spotify has started recommending me Dark Folk, which it turns out I really like. Nice. Yeah, I've got started getting recommended weird shit that I enjoy, like Bluegrass. Oh, I love Bluegrass. You have to watch the movie. It's a Belgian movie. It's called The Broken Circle Breakdown. Okay. But... Yeah please have tissues before you watch it because you will cry and cry and cry and cry. It's one of the saddest films I've ever seen, but it is absolutely beautiful. And it's like set to all of the most uh, well-known blue glass talk. (laughs) 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 It's really, I fucking love blue grass. And the thing is, everyone thinks of it as like redneck podunk fucking country music. It's really good. It's so, so good. And the guy in this film talks about its origins and he's like, you know, it's a, a complete melting pot of of cultures because the banjo's from Africa and the violins from, and he talks about all the different instruments and, and how the music was actually originally formed and how so many of the old folk songs that we sing today were actually like sung by black people. And it's, it's, oh, it's just so great. So what are your thoughts? We want to hear from you. Leave a comment or tag us through Instagram at bookmarksandboos or email us at bookmarksandboose at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more books, booze and brutal book reviews. <laughs> <laughs>